Welcome to Skin Out, a podcast celebrating all the people them that want to skin out, enjoy and show out. These are the stories of people of colour taking up space in the kink and fetish scene. I'm your host Tony, and I hope you're ready because we are about to go on a sexual journey. I don't do half-halves. If you're going to do an abduction scene, there has to be a ransom now. Or I have to send your roommate at least a, a random text from a burner phone that I bought. Having the reggae and, and the dub and the drum and bass and the, the, the afro, it was just so sexy because pop people are so sexy. It was a whole different vibe and just really emotional. This energy that was put on me before I was even sexually active. My mum would make comments like, oh, I know you're a freak and all of this. And I'm like, I, what? I haven't even kissed anyone yet. I hadn't kissed anyone until 22. Are you a boy or a girl? And I was actually so like, I didn't know how to answer that. I remember just being either 10, 11, 12 and not really having that moment to really understand what was being asked and how to answer it. But also realising I've never actually thought about any of that before. I slapped someone. They asked me to slap them and they're not dead. Like <laughs> this, this is not so bad. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed inflicting pain and seeing them enjoy it. I enjoyed slapping someone and they're giggling back at me and saying like I didn't do it hard enough. I essentially had a noose around my neck and I was balancing on my knees. We were pulling up and I was like getting choked out and eventually ended up on the floor having fainted, uh, which was fun and I loved it. But afterwards I had this real thing of like, this was not fun for people. This was torture and death for people who looked like me. But we had no clue about how, where, the logistics of, like, how do you get to them? Is this in someone's shady house in Kent? Is it going to be a case of being othered because I'm the only person of colour there? Like, it's just those kind of questions when it's completely unknown. It's like being wrapped and wrapped and wrapped in layers and layers and layers of glass, but who you are is right in the middle, and then something is cataclysmic as a nervous breakdown just drops the glass on the floor and then finally even though everything around you is smashed you can see the bits on the inside that have been hiding there the whole time i was seen as this sexual person but i was actually quite clueless about my sexual self because i was afraid to touch myself for such a long time what a journey it has been right we met eight gorgeous guests and me delved into their sexual past and treaded alongside them as they divulge their exploits and desire. Every episode left me in a sort of dazed amazement. I'm amazed because it takes a lot of courage to be so open and transparent. I'm fully awestruck because they didn't have to be. They heard what I wanted to do with this podcast and they were like, fuck yeah, let's do it. That by far is the reason why I fell in love with the scene. It's definitely the community for me. It's all the people that I've crossed paths with who've made me feel like I belong. That's something I've been searching for, a space where I felt like I could be my authentic self. And there wasn't this pressure to be anything but that. I feel like the scene is removed from societal pressures and norms. There's an openness in the kink community that is often missing in the mainstream. Different is celebrated and it's not really seen as different. And this openness translates not just to how we express ourselves outwardly, but in the beliefs and the conversations we have around gender, relationships, sex, politics, or everything. 
we question, critique, and try to be as inclusive as possible, especially towards identities that are marginalised in the mainstream. This community was there for me when I first started exploring polyamory and non-monogamy. You know, those those early experiences were teething experiences, when was me figuring out what type of polyamory I wanted to to do. Was I a relationship anarchist? Was I a kitchen top polyamory person? It was all those sort of questions and not knowing how to proceed. And then having people who were willing and open to kind of have those conversations with me and talk about their experiences, what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and how they're still sort of navigating those relationships too. When one of my earlier relationships in monogamy ended badly, they picked up the pieces and and sort of encouraged me to see this as a learning experience. I was ready to pack up bags and be like, fuck this. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I was ready to call quits. But they helped me realize that one bad experience isn't the end of the world. You know, I've had failed relationships with non-monogamy and I kept dating. Why is it that I was so easy to give up with non-monogamy? I think I was just scared, you know, scared because it was very unknown. And like, you know, I don't like unknowns. (laughs) Uncertainty scares me. But I really appreciate all those people who listened to my relationship woes because I love my friends dearly but most of them don't do non-monogamy so they don't really understand it so it was nice to have that community to lean on for support get advice from and to realize that it's not going to be easy but even monogamous relationships aren't easy but when you have that community in place it does make it a little bit better I think The community was also there for me when I met someone that I just vied with straight away and I was like, this is the love of my life. You know, we hit off so well and we went on dates and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I told them I was non-monogamous, I was polyamorous. They were like, yeah, let's try it out. And it didn't work because our relationship styles just weren't compatible. And that's okay. But at the time I was like, oh my God, this guy is perfect for me. But obviously he's not, he wasn't perfect for me because we had incompatible relationship styles. But at the time, I was, very, again, ready to throw away non-monogamy. Like, no, nah, this shit ain't right. This isn't for me. This is the person who clearly is made for me, but they are not non-monogamous. So therefore, I should change. And the community, my friends in the community, and also my friends outside the community helped me realise that, girl, you can't change for someone else. It was a hard lesson to learn because that's a habit I used to have quite a bit with previous relationships where I'd always try and change myself to meet the needs of other people and neglecting my own needs and my own desires and wants. And the more I thought about it, if I tried to change myself and try to change my relationship style to suit what they were into, I would probably grow to resent them. There'd be a lot of bitterness there and it wouldn't have been a great relationship anyway. But I was still, I still went to mourn that almost relationship even though we went on like two dates I was still mourning it because you know when you fall for someone so intensely and you start imagining your future together having kids and shit don't at me okay I'm a hopeless romantic at heart I had all these fantasies and stuff in my head so when things didn't work out I was really sad but I was able again to lean on that community to help me come out the other side and to realise that being non-monogamous is not easy. There are going to be people who just 
don't want to do it and you can't force them to do what you want to do just as much as other people can't force you to be monogamous. And that was something I had to learn. I've been on a lot of great dates and I've had a lot of lovely relationships form through non-monogamy and also through like going to all these king parties and play parties. I've met so many cool people, made so many great meaningful relationships with people, both platonic and romantic. And I think that's amazing. I have truly found my people, a community where you could go to a naked dinner party and get a flogging 101 session with a professional dominatrix. Let me explain some more. I was at a naked dinner party because not all play parties are going to be like a rave. Some of them are really cute. Some of them are like games night. Some of them are dinner parties. So it was a naked dinner party and there was dominatrix there and there was basically a bunch of people there. And I mentioned, oh, hey, guys, I don't really know how to flog, but I want to learn how to flog. And someone showed me how to flog. And she came up. Miss Lydia came up and with her flogger and was giving me like some tips of where to where to how to hold the flogger, where to hit, where to avoid. And everyone else at the party was there watching me, giving me words of encouragement. And like, yes, Tony, good job. Good job. Well done. You got this. There was even someone who volunteered to be my test dummy. That whole experience was so wholesome and so heartwarming that everyone there just wanted to see me do well. They wanted to see me learn how to flog and I was so happy that they were there doing that because in the bigger play parties, I find that so intimidating to to ask how to do that sort of stuff. But this was a much smaller setting and everyone there was just so encouraging. Not to say that people at the bigger play parties aren't encouraging, but those sort of spaces it's not really the great environment to learn how to do these sort of things. I love that there is a space for everyone. If you don't like those big mainstream play parties, there are smaller ones happening. There are munches happening. There are social kinky socials happening where there's no play involved so you can get to know people. There are alternative markets happening where you can buy latex, leather, floggers. There is so much happening and it all helps in building that sense of community and you get to see the same sort of faces wherever you go and then you make friends and then it's like oh my god where have you been my entire life I could cry I'm not going to cry but it's just whenever I think about it it makes me so happy and so full of joy I've had so many new experiences and one of them was using toilet for the first time and trying piss play I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't think I'd be into it. I did not think I'd be into it. But I'm the sort of person that will say yes just to have the experience because I would rather have regrets than wonder what if. What if I just went to a regular toilet instead? I've gone to regular toilets loads of times in the past, but I have never used a human toilet. And that was a lot of fun. I was very, very turned on. There's something about pissing on someone and making someone drink your piss that is truly just wonderful and very empowering and very powerful. Yes, powerful is the word I'm looking for. I felt incredibly powerful and I had a lot of power over this object because I'm not a person anymore, I've got a toilet. And that, that was one of those experiences that kind of gave me the courage to explore my dom side a bit more and to see what sort of dom I wanted to be and what sort of experiences I wanted to get out of that as well. And then much later down the line, I actually did a bit more piss play. 
Like, I had a partner that I was seeing at the time pee on me and I peed on him. I didn't like it. I don't like being peed on. But I do like peeing on other people. And it's something that you wouldn't know you like until you try it. And I'm not telling you to go ahead and do it. I mean, you can, but I'm saying being in this space has given me such new ideas and it's given me the confidence to explore freely and without judgment and with support. I honestly, big love to the people who create and safeguard these kink spaces because without them, it would have been more difficult to explore the things I have. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every party I've been to has been great or every experience I've had has been great. I don't want to paint this totally dreamy landscape because that would be lying. These parties are safer spaces as opposed to a safe space. Nowhere can truly be safe because you can't control what everyone does. They can say all the right things to get in, you know, learn all the guidelines, learn all the rules, say consent is sexy, and then display bad behaviours once they're inside. I went to a torture garden for the first time. I had probably the most bad experiences in one night that I ever had going to any of these sort of parties. I had someone spank me without consent. Me and my friend were harassed by two two men. You know, these bad experiences happen. I remember at another party, a random guy said a racialized comment towards me. And then another guy that same night was also very inappropriate and harassing me as well. Not all parties are created equal. Sadly, it's, it's not always golden showers. Sometimes it's shit. Those bad experiences don't take away all the good I've experienced in the scene. This podcast may be my little nepo baby, but it's also an ode to all the good that there is in the community. I have a great appreciation for everyone that made this podcast possible. Each and every person I have crossed paths with in the scene, online or in real life. My good friend Nicola Amy, who planted the seed and sowed words of encouragement. My glorious guests, who trusted me to share their stories and were so willing to be vulnerable and open. I love you guys. The delicious beats you've been hearing were created by New Strange, and the divine artwork on your screen was designed by Kat, the founder of Moonzine. And I appreciate you. Yeah, you baby. Thank you for coming on this ride with us. I've been your deliciously decadent host, Tony. See you in season two.